The title of this morning's message is He Must Increase. And our passage of scripture, which you'll not find on the screen today, is John chapter 3, verses 22 through 30. So if you brought your Bibles or you want to take one of the Bibles from the pew rack in front of you, we're in John chapter 3, and I'm going to be reading in just a moment from verses 22 through 30. He must increase. In a normal week, uh, usually on, on Mondays, my wife and I slip away for at least the middle part of the day, and we try to have lunch together, and I try to decompress. Uh, Sunday is a day where many of you get to rest, and if you don't, that's your own fault. But for pastors and church leaders, it's often a day where there's work to do, work to be done. So Mondays, typically, I take off. The rest of the week, most mornings, I spend those mornings in my study, either at home, where it's typically more quiet, or at the church, uh, studying, praying over the message, over whatever it is that we're doing as a church, and that's what I'm doing most mornings. And so, if for whatever reason I'm not available, it's because I've committed that time to God's Word and, and um, to my work as a pastor, as a shepherd. So this week, I had a fairly normal week. I did, I did that. And by the time I went home Friday, I had a particular passage of Scripture, and I had an had a expectation that that's what we were going to do this morning. I got up yesterday morning and uh, actually texted that passage of Scripture to a um, dear brother here in our church and wanted to encourage him, and so I sent that Scripture to him. said, I, I, this is what we're going to do tomorrow. We're going to be studying this. And uh, he was appreciative of that and looking forward to that. And, and then as the day progressed, by the end of the day, uh, I was driving back from meeting with some folks, a family um, that, that was hurting. And as I was driving back, the Lord spoke to me. And when I say that, I don't mean it with an audible voice. Um, the Lord Jesus, those of us that know him, whether you fully understand this or not, we talked about it last fall, but the Lord Jesus is our environment. If you know Christ, you're in Christ. And so we've talked about that here. I've taught that, how we are in Christ. But Christ also is in us. And so he is also in my internal environment. And if I'm going to abide in him or have communion with him or relationship with him, then, then I need to cultivate the discipline of where my mind drifts to when I'm not particularly thinking about anything else. And typically, I, I find myself, especially the older I get, my mind drifts to the Lord. And I talk to Him. I'll pray about someone. I'll pray about something. And in this case, I was thinking about the, the morning message, and He spoke to me. He said, he said, Don, you remember when I spoke to you earlier in the week? In fact, it was Friday morning. I said, yes. He said, I want you to preach that. And of course, in my mind, I'm thinking, I thought that was just for me. And he said, no, I want you to do that for my people. And so I don't have um, the normal, normal level of preparation that I have, but I do have my heart and I do have the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to take a few moments and, and take a hard look at what, what I believe the Lord Jesus is speaking. And it may not be for you, so if it's not, pray for the person it is for. And, um, and so this message, he must increase. 
I believe is a picture of what must happen in every Christian's life. It is his way to transform you and me and to change us by increasing his presence and his life in us and our self decreases. That doesn't mean we're not valuable to him. It doesn't mean we're not important to him. It does mean that we were made to do life in him and with him. And that as we do that, his life becomes dominant. And so this morning, as we read that passage of Scripture, please keep that in mind. He must increase. Where does that come from in God's Word? In John chapter 3, verse 22, which follows a very familiar verse, John 3, 16. If you were here for our graduation, our we school graduation Thursday night, uh, you heard that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Too many times we stop there. there there's more to this chapter. And in verse 22, we have a, a story about John the Baptist. And uh, at this moment in the life of John the Baptist, he is not in prison yet. He's going to be. He's speaking the truth. He has had two amazing godly parents, um, both spirit-filled. And he was filled with the spirit in God's womb, we read about in the Bible. And so he has had a very unusual life, even from childhood. And the Bible says he lived out in the wilderness. And if I was going to start a campaign to preach so that people would hear, I would typically not go out in the middle of a field and start. But that's what he did. He started out in the wilderness. And eventually great crowds came. And in verse 22, uh, after he's at the height of his recognition and popularity, if you want to use that word. And just about a week or two after, he has seen Jesus. A lot of times we call John the Baptist, John the Baptist, and we make jokes about it because we're Baptists. We say, you know, Baptists are in the Bible. You know, you, you understand all that, right? He wasn't John the Methodist. He wasn't John the Presbyterian. But when we joke about that, we kind of miss the point. John was not just a Baptist. <laughs> He did a lot of baptizing. He was a forerunner for the Messiah. He was there to announce the coming of Jesus Christ. And so he is a witness to who is to come. And when Jesus came, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so he is not just John the Baptist. He is John the witness. And he's bearing witness to the coming of Jesus Christ. So in verse 22 we read, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing in Enon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. So this is before things got difficult for John. Now discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. 
the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wisdom and the power by which John spoke then. And may your word speak to us today in the same way. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. We need an increasing Jesus in our world. We need an increasing Jesus in our world. You and I attend churches that nationwide, although we look at some churches and we see exceptions, but nationwide we see churches that are struggling. Across our state, we see churches that are struggling. And we, we put a lot of emphasis on what we need to do because our church is struggling. What we need to do is grow the church numerically. And, and we say we want the church to grow, but do we really? Because before... All people can be drawn to Christ. He says, I have to be lifted up. He says, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. But he has to be lifted up. And if he is increasing, what does that mean for us? It means we're decreasing. And so the price of lifting Christ up, I suspect is a price that we've got to look at more closely because I'm not sure we want to pay it. If he is increasing, we must be decreasing. And so I want to talk to you today about two things. How an increasing Jesus is a threat to some. And the second thing is why an increasing Jesus is a blessing to others. So let's take the first one. How an increasing Jesus is a threat to some. If you go back to verse 26, you read what the disciples of John said to John. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, He who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. Now, John is at the height of his popularity, if you want to say that, use that expression. He's been out in the wilderness, he's been faithful, and he is preaching hard. He is preaching a very strong message. He is telling people that they need to repent. And people are coming to hear him, all kinds of people, soldiers, Pharisees, Sadducees, rich people, poor people, doesn't matter. They're all coming to hear him speak. What he is teaching and what he is preaching is getting to the ears of the highest levels of political power and social influence in the nation. Herod, the king, has heard about John the Baptist. And ultimately, that's going to lead to his death because John the Baptist was enamored of Herod was enamored with John the Baptist and his preaching. He wanted to hear him speak, but when, when John the Baptist started telling the truth about Herod, when he got a little bit too close, when he spoke too directly about Herod's life and his sin, well, off with his head. And he was going to arrest him, and that's what he did. But at this point, that's not where John's at. At this point, he's a household name in Israel. And everybody wants to come to see him. So Jesus comes, and he's been, he's been consistent in his teaching about Jesus Christ. The disciples, when they heard John say that there's one coming, and I'm not worthy to undo his sandals, just like a plain servant in a household, 
takes off the, the sandals, the dirty, muddy sandals of, of the owner of the house and washes his feet. He says, I'm not worthy to do that. There's one coming. I baptize with water, but he's coming. He's going to baptize with fire. And, and he's greater than I am. He's mightier than I am. These are some of the things he said while he was teaching. And all the while, the disciples of John are saying, amen, 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 until he came. And when he came, John the Baptist recognized him, and, and they went through this conversation where Jesus came to him to be baptized, and John the Baptist said, no, 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 no. I should be baptized by you. And, and they went through this conversation. Ultimately, Jesus was baptized. And at that moment, when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove, the Bible says, and the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ began as the Holy Spirit filled him and empowered him in a new way. And so the ministry of Jesus was launched, and, and as the ministry of Jesus was ascending, people were going to hear Jesus instead of John. Now, John didn't have a problem with this, but the disciples of John were concerned. Your name is decreasing in importance. We're following you, so that means we're decreasing in importance. And, and all the people are going. We're losing all the people to Jesus and his preaching. You know, he should be a little more appreciative of you, John. He, he should appreciate the fact that you set him up, that you talked about him, that, that you explained who, how great he was and who he was going to be. And, and we said amen to all that. And now Jesus has come and he's bidding, getting to increase and we're worried about it. But John wasn't worried. He wasn't disturbed at all. Why was that? Well, when he answered the question to them in the scripture that we read, he said, it's because I'm not the bridegroom. All these people, they're the bride. I'm not the bridegroom. And so it's very fitting that they should go to the to the bridegroom, they should be going to Jesus. They, they should be drawn to him. I'm just the, like the best man, you know? I'm, I'm the friend of the bridegroom. And so he must increase and I must decrease. There's a key concept here that I think that every believer here this morning needs to understand. That when you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you became at that moment a work in progress. The Holy Spirit came into your life not so that you could be the center of the universe, but so that Jesus could become the center of your life. And so you and I were never supposed to be the center of attention when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. Jesus didn't save you so that he could be your co-pilot. He didn't come to sit at the at the boardroom of all the decisions of your life. He didn't come to sit on the side of the table. He came to sit at the head of the table. And so in this, in this relationship with him, these disciples were learning something very important of John the Baptist. All are going to him. They're all going to him. They're not coming to you anymore, John. You're not the center of attention anymore. John said, it's okay. I never was supposed to be the center of attention. It was never all about me. And it's not about you. That doesn't mean he doesn't love you. You are precious to him. One of my favorite verses in recent months is John 31, 3. I've loved you with an everlasting love. God loves you. You are precious to him. He molded you. He fashioned you. He knows every detail of your life. He knows everything about you. He cares for you. That's all true. 
But he didn't die on the cross so he could just help you in a bad time. He came that he might be Lord, both of the living and the dead, according to Romans. He came so that he might govern. He came as a king. He came so that he might have all authority over everything that's running wild in your life and in this world that you and I are in. So every growing Christian knows about this struggle. Deep down, this is the way that we grow, but we don't want to grow that way. We want to be about self-improvement. Jesus says, no, I want yourself to die. I want you to die to self. I want you to die to self-importance. I want you to die to being preoccupied with yourself and your problems and your needs and your desires. They're important to me. I care for you, my child. But I want you to die to those things. I want you to live for something else. And I want you to put me as the center of your life. But self doesn't want to die. And, uh, and so that's part of the struggle of growing as a Christian, is feeling this displacement that Jesus is to be superior. He is to be exalted. He is to be lifted up. He is what my life is about. He is why I'm here. He is why I'm breathing. He is why I exist. And the old flesh inside you and me, we fight it tooth and toenail. In Galatians chapter 4, the apostle Paul said that I'm in chi- uh, labor again. The old King James says travail. He said, I'm in travail and childbirth again until Christ is formed in you. There's no way Christ can be formed in you unless he increases and you decrease. And so there's this process of growth. And now listen to me. This is where we're all headed. If you're here today, you're not a Christian, you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're still going to discover that Jesus must increase and you must decrease. That time is still coming. The Bible tells us there's a day in history coming at the end of time where Jesus will come, the kingdom will come, he will sit on his throne, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That day is coming. And so when that moment comes, even for us as Christians, then, then, those of us that know him, those of us that love him, then we will want to desperately, we will want to decrease. And we will want him to increase because we will see him as he is. What about everybody else? Oh, they'll want to decrease, all right. The Bible says at one point it gets so bad they'll cry to the mountains. We want you to fall on us, cover us, hide us from him. We don't want to be seen by him. It's too terrible. It's too awful. He is increasing and we are decreasing. And that time in history is coming. So this story that we're reading about in the life of John the Baptist is truly a pattern that I believe every one of us, every Christian is to follow. He says, I, he must increase, I must decrease. Let me talk a little bit about the language that's used there that sometimes we don't see just in an English reading. First of all, both of those words, increase and decrease, are present tense. That means they're ongoing things. He must be increasing, I must be decreasing. This is an ongoing process. You're not going to come forward in an invitation pray a prayer, and walk away and say, Jesus has done all the increasing he's going to do in my life, and I've done all the decreasing that's going to happen in my life. No. It is a process, and he is at work to exalt his life in you and to decrease the influence of self, the damaged self especially, that, that ruins life. And so, so we have entered into this process, and there's increasing going on, and there should be decreasing going on. Now, a couple other observations about this. This word increase is used elsewhere in the New Testament for growth. And, and the word is unique because it's not just any word for growth. It's a word for growth that automatically happens. And, and then this other word for decrease 
It's not only present tense, it's passive, meaning it's something being done to John. So let me explain it this way. The disciples come to him and say, we are concerned that everybody's going to Jesus. And John says, well, here's the deal. Jesus, it's just the way it works. Jesus automatically is going to increase, guys. He has got to be increasing. It's just going to happen that way. He says, at the same time that he's increasing, I'm going to be decreasing. Let me, let me put it the way it's truly written. He says, I, something's going to be decreasing me. Words, the process of growth is not where, how can I increase Jesus and how can I decrease? No, Jesus is going to increase and you are going to decrease. It is a process, and, and yes, you can cooperate with that process, but this is where he is going in your life and in my life. It's what he's doing. Like John the Baptist, God may use you at one point in your life to bless many people. You may have high water marks in your uh, moments in your life with God where you can't do anything that doesn't seem to be blessed. And God is using you, and maybe, maybe you've experienced a twinge of temptation as a church leader, Sunday school leader, just a Christian person in a workplace, and, and people just look up to you and they think you're, you're a credible person, uh, a worthy person, a person of integrity, and, and you may begin just a little bit to take credit for that. Just a little bit, you know, and, and that's not the Holy Spirit, that's our flesh. We want to take credit for things. And, and so like John the Baptist, you may, you may have moments like that, and this was certainly his. The hard time was coming. The real decrease was coming. But at this moment, that's not the case. And so you may not have experienced great loss. You may not have experienced great hardship. You may not have experienced great pain. And it may seem for you that your coming to Christ and your walk with him was like a, a fairy tale and everything in your life has been blessed since you trusted Christ. Just hold on. Just hold on. John was not threatened by the rise of a king because he knew in his heart all along he was not the king. And that's where you and I have to go. As soon as he responded to those disciples who said, everybody's going up there, listen to the first thing that he says in verse 27. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. God is in control. God is sovereign. When good things come, I know God is in control. When bad things come, God has not lost control. And what is he wanting to accomplish when those times come that I don't understand where I have a lot of questions? What is he trying to accomplish in me? He must increase, I must decrease. Jesus must be more and more evident in my life and me and my quirks and my faults and my sins and my failures and my bad habits must decrease. It's about him. Your crisis will cause you to decrease. Your sickness will cause you to decrease. Your financial crisis will cause you to decrease. Your family crisis will cause you to decrease. Your reputation may go on the block. And when your reputation has been tattered, you will decrease. Your trouble, whatever it is, can all work and be part of, of a process whereby our old self is dying and this new life of Christ 
is ascendant. All the while, when this is happening, when those worst moments come, when you do turn to him, when you finally turn to him, you take your eyes off of your problem, you put your eyes on Christ, you will hear him say, will you still trust me? Will you trust me? No matter how hard it gets, no matter what the difficulties are, will you still trust me? I thought this, this week when I was thinking about this passage of Scripture, I thought about the uh, Israelites when they were on the east side of the Red Sea. On the east side of the Red Sea, after the waters had parted and closed up over the enemies, on the east side of the Red Sea, you go, I think it's Exodus 15, you go there, what are they doing? They are singing. Our God reigns. Our God is a king. Our God is a warrior. Our God triumphs over our enemies. On the east side of the Red Sea, that's easy to do. On the west side of the Red Sea, no singing, no dancing. Oh God, why did you bring us out here to die? It would have been better sitting by the flesh pots in Egypt. It would have been better in slavery. No singing. And I'm convinced that part of the maturing process that he wants to take every Christian through is to get you and I to a place where we always live on the west side, on the east side, even when we're experiencing the west side. That even in our hardest moments, praise the Lord, the one who is my Savior, the one who loves me, the one who came for me, praise the Lord. On my worst moment, of my worst day of my life, will I sing, will I dance, Will he increase in my life? Leonard Ravenhill was a pastor, a preacher, evangelist, who traveled up and down the length of England for many years before he came to the United States in 1950. He was befriended by and became very close to a man named A.W. Tozer, another godly man from another era. Leonard Ravenhill wrote, numerous books and traveled around, was an itinerant preacher. I was privileged to hear him myself when I was younger. And, um, and he just preached a very prophetic message. Uh, one story he told that I heard him tell was of, when he traveled England, he was part of what became the Assemblies of God in England. And so they would preach the gospel and they would just gather a crowd on the street. And, but one of the guys that traveled with him a man named Glenn Thomas. There were two men, Glenn Thomas and Harry Taft. Glenn Thomas was blind. He was a blind Welsh preacher. And in the 1940s, they traveled up and down England, and, and they would preach the gospel. But periodically, Glenn would just feel led of God, and as they would encounter someone in the crowd, and he would pray for them, and they would be healed. Wasn't all the time, wasn't everybody he prayed for, but some people he prayed for were healed. And it was just a, a byproduct of their preaching the gospel, proclaiming that God is king, and then demonstrating that he is the king. One day he went to an insane asylum, felt led of God to go to this insane asylum, went to a specific room where there was a specific woman there who was crazy. Now don't look around when I talk about a crazy woman. And, and he goes in, and he, he prays for her, and her right mind returns. 
And so they're walking out of the insane asylum. A nurse stops them and says, hey, you can't take her out of here. Yes, I can. She doesn't belong here. And the, the nurse talked to the woman, and it was very clear. The woman was not the same. She has changed. She had been healed. Her mind had been cleared. She was a different person. And the nurse looked at Glenn. Glenn didn't look at her. He's blind. She said, how did this happen? He said, I prayed for her. And she said, if you pray for somebody and they're healed, why are you still blind? And Glenn said that it struck him. It hit him hard. He hadn't really given that a lot of thought. And so he spends the night in prayer and he begins to pray. Oh God, here I am. You've used my hands to heal people. You've used my hands and you have healed people with different physical conditions. And said, so here am I, Lord. Here I am. And he kept praying one hour, two hours, three hours. Prayed all night long. But after about three hours, the Lord spoke to him. And this is what the Lord said. Son, I can heal you like that. You can have your eyes just now. But I'm concerned. When you get your eyes, will your love for me grow cold? And be like other preachers and you lose your spiritual vision? When you get your physical sight? And Glenn realized that the choice was this. I could have my eyesight and risk becoming like other men. Or I could keep my usefulness to the Lord. And he prayed that night, Lord, keep me blind. Not everybody can handle sight, can they? Lord, keep me blind. Some people look at an increasing Jesus as a threat. Second thing, why an increasing Jesus is a blessing to others. And this point is not as long as the first one. You can relax. Verse 29. John says, The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, listen, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John says, my joy is complete. That means like a fishing net that is crammed full, Dustin, of the biggest catfish you ever saw. My joy is made complete. It's describing something crammed full, a hollow in the ground that is filled to the brim with water. He says, I've got so much joy, I can't put any more joy in me. My joy is complete. He wasn't sad. He wasn't threatened. His joy bucket was full, couldn't hold any more. How many of us can say that this morning? Your joy bucket is so full, you can't get any more joy in your life. You see, John said, he must increase and he is increasing. I must decrease and I am decreasing. My joy is made complete. All of us are searching and longing for different things. Some of us are looking for love, and as the old song says, in all the wrong places. We hunt, we marry, and if it doesn't work, we marry again. But we, we want to be accepted. We want to be cared for. We're looking for love. Others of us are restless in life. We're never settled. We're never at peace. We're always fighting for something and fighting others or fighting ourselves. Others of us are looking for a kind of joy. We're seeking happiness. We, we want to be 
happy. And so sometimes to escape the realities of this world, we anesthetize ourselves, we medicate ourselves with literally with drugs, literally with alcohol, or with just a constant bombardment of some kind of entertainment. Others of us are hungry forgiveness, for forgiveness. We, we feel guilt. We, we blame others for the things that we have done. Others of us we feel broken on the inside and we're hungry for someone to put us back together or we just keep running. We're running from our own pain, running from our own brokenness. Others of us are hungry to hope, something to look forward to, something to anticipate. We, we, we live for our vacations. We live for weekends. We live for, thank God, it's Friday because we have no hope. Others of us are looking for safety and we beef up our lives, we beef up our health, we beef up our home security because we want to feel safe, we want to feel secure. Others of us want to be satisfied, and we are never satisfied. We get something, maybe for a little while it helps, and then it runs out. You know what John discovered? Jesus is all I need. You want him to increase because he's the answer to everything you're looking for. That hole in your heart that always seems there never gets filled, Jesus was made for that hole. And you keep trying this and you keep trying that, you keep searching here, you keep searching there, and all the while, Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. The best kind of life a life of fulfillment, a life of satisfaction, a life of love and joy and peace and forgiveness and restoration and satisfaction and safety, all those things. Jesus, you want him to increase. So how can you apply this? I've shared before years ago in another lifetime in the dark ages, I was a track runner. I don't run anymore, I walk. But I walk and it Feels like I'm doing something good. I ran a mile relay in high school. I was part of our, our mile relay. We, we went to state in Ohio. We competed at that level. It was a great group of guys. But I wasn't the anchor runner. You see, the anchor runner was the guy who was the guy that was your fastest quarter mile runner. Everybody else would run a lap just like he would. I would run one lap, somebody else would run another lap, somebody else would run a lap, but all the while we're carrying the baton, which means stick in French. We were carrying the stick, and we would hand off to the next guy, and he would run a quarter mile. We'd hand off to the next guy, he would run a quarter mile until the mile was run. But Dave was our anchor runner. Dave could run the quarter mile faster than the three of us. And, and so we ran the baton, and we ran our hearts out. We did our best. We did our best. But our whole goal was to get the stick in Dave's hand. Typically, I was the third leg of the four runners, which means I got it from the number two guy. I'm the number three guy, and I'm handing it off to Dave. I was so happy to hand it off to Dave. I would have that. People would be cheering. And, and we just, I just wanted to kind of keep things even. I just didn't want anybody too far in front. I didn't care if we had a big lead. I just didn't want anybody to get too far ahead of us. Just kind of keep things even. Because I knew if I could give it to Dave, he would blow them away. And when Dave came in at the finish, there was cheering. People were up in the stands. People were hollering. People were cheering. And so were we. Get your stuff to Jesus. He will finish strong with your life. He can do more with your life than you can. 
you can work at it, you can strain at it, you can take all the self-improvement classes, read all the books you want, talk to all the counselors you want. Jesus will finish your race if you will give him your life. Give it all to him. It's all about him. You were made for him, whether you understand that or not. Give him your life.